there he is. Da, 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 da. All right, so week two of Don't Be a Loser. How many went out last week and felt like a loser? Hey, that's awesome, because you're all winners, right? We're all winners at the game of life. Hey, we talked last week about not being a loser and, um, and not giving into temptation, not giving into sin, being overcomers. And we left a little bit last week with kind of a little bit of just kind of a, kind of a, so, a somber undertone as we walked out, um, just kind of thinking about what temptations happen in our lives. If you remember last week what you happened to write down on that card, if you weren't here last week, uh, what we did was wrote down on the card the one temptation, the one sin, the one thing that grabs us, that gets us, that's kind of our thing. And so if you remember what you wrote down last week, that's great. If you need to write it down again, that's great too. I want you to keep it in, I want you to keep it in the forefront of your mind this morning as we dig in and look through uh, the life of Joseph this morning. Last week, we got to focus on David and, and had some interesting, I think, discussion about um, the life of David and, and, his, and his, uh, his really loss of, of peace in his life and the consequences of his sin with Bathsheba um, as he sinned and, uh, and with her and, and created a baby and killed Uriah. And there was just, there was a lot to all that. So if you weren't here last week, I'd encourage you to go back and listen. It's on our website. We're also on iTunes. I don't know if y'all know that. We don't really talk about it a lot, but every week our messages are uploaded to iTunes. Um, Pat Neal does that for us. So if you ever want to get in your car, you want to listen to one of the past messages, um, catch up on a series, or just go back and listen to something maybe you heard a year ago that really impacted you, you can jump on iTunes. It's pretty great. You can jump on there and, and listen back. So, um, what, but what I wanted to do today is kind of focus on, on, on somebody different as we focus on David and his kind of just failure at overcoming temptation. We're going to look at the life of Joseph this morning and kind of the opposite of that. And when I talk about being a loser, um, what I mean by that is that we, we don't want to be in a place in our lives where we lose to sin. Uh, we don't want to be a place where we lose to temptation, where we lose our integrity, where we lose our influence, or ultimately lose ourselves because we've lost ourselves in a temptation that led us to sin. And we talked just for the first couple of weeks of this, of this series, Brian shared about um, some pretty hot topics and, uh, and some things that maybe um, hit us in a, in, a, in a different way, but I think in a really powerful way as we talked about um, godly sexuality and what that looks like according to the Word of God, what marriage looks like according to the Word of God, um, can I be gay and still be a believer? And I'm not going to answer that. I'm going to tell you to go back and listen to three weeks ago's message, and you'll be absolutely blessed and blown away <clears throat> Excuse me, by what Brian had to say. But I felt like on the backside of those two messages as he and I kind of talked that talking about temptation for a couple of weeks and overcoming just sin in general is also an important piece of that. We, we like to focus on the big sins, right? We like to think, well, I'm not an adulterer. I'm not caught up in some big, massive sin. I mean, the stuff that I struggle with isn't that big of a deal. But I want to challenge you and tell you that, yes, it really is. Any sin that we get entangled with um, is something that gets in the way of our fellowship with our Heavenly Father and ultimately gets in the way of our peace and our, and our, um, and our walk with Him. And so, you know, those can, those can be any sin, whether it's, whether it's lying or, or ethics. Um, you know, some of us, maybe we steal a, a, a pad of paper from the office. Um, that's ethics, Anytime we get into things that are, are things that aren't ours and maybe we take them, right? Um, we think, well, that's just not a big deal. It's a pen or a pencil. It's a, it's a whatever it is, but they're, but they're important things. Integrity means everything. Uh, maybe it's anger. Maybe it's bitterness. Uh, maybe it's laziness. Maybe it's gluttony. Heck, I ate two donuts this morning. I mean, I'm, I'm sinning right here, right in front of you. Um, it was bad. I'm going to have to go to that gym that we talked about, none of us wanting to go to last week when I leave here today for the third time in a year since I've been paying for it. It'll be, I'm sure they'll... Sure, they'll be really blessed to see me when I walk in. 
Uh, maybe I'll just get a massage. We'll just, we'll just stop there. But, you know, not everything is an external sin. Not everything is such a big deal. A lot of things are internal that we struggle with, right? A lot of things are, are things that maybe even nobody else knows about, the things that we may struggle with, the things that tempt us, the things that push us over the line to sin. And we talked about the four steps of sin last week, and I've got these back up on the screen for you. And they were, the four things were thought, imagination, I think I do, don't I? Yeah, thought, imagination, justification, and then the choice. So, so we, we have to take every thought captive. And the moment that we feel like we're being tempted, we've got to grab it right then and, and, and stop that before that thought becomes something else. Because what happens next is it goes into tem- in imagination. We begin to imagine what it would be like if we committed that sin. Uh, we talked about the guy that drove around the street 11 times so he could get the front row spot, right, in the parking lot to get his donut. He waited for it to happen, so it, it, and in his mind, somehow that was okay. And that was, a, that was obviously God talking. And then we talked about justifying. Uh, we go from the thought of sin to the imagination of it to justification. Well, it's okay if I do this, nobody knows. It's okay if I do this, nobody's going to see it. Um, can I just, this is, I know this is really interruptive, but is my hat laying back on the booth back there? Is my black hat laying there? This, these lights are absolutely killing me. If you can run, I appreciate it. Thank you. Um, we can turn the lights off. I actually look better in the dark. That's what my wife used to tell me. She's like, man, you look great in the dark, honey. Thank you so much. Sorry, I'm preaching in a hat. Um, and so, and then the last thing is that choice. So we justify that sin and then we make the choice to sin. We actually make the choice to cross the line to sin. And so when we looked at David last week, being a man after God's own heart, right? A man who, who loved God and who was chosen by God to lead Israel, who, who did amazing things in his life, but because of one choice, suffered some consequences that not only lasted through his life, but lasted on for the next generation to come as Solomon struggled with power with his brother, and, and ultimately his brother was killed. We talked about putting guardrails in our lives, right? Putting things in our lives that help us to not fall off the cliff of sin. Things that, whether that's people around us that can, that can hold us accountable and say, hey, I, I think... I think I'm struggling here. We can call that person and say, hey, I'm struggling. Can you come alongside me so that I don't stumble into this sin? Um, Guardrails of being involved in our church and being involved in a life group and having an active prayer life and having an active Bible study life where we're we're in God's word and we're letting him empower us. We're allowing his Holy Spirit to speak in us and through us and to us to convict us and show us those areas where we need to be more stable in our lives, and we need to put guardrails because we keep falling off the cliff, right? We want to stop doing that. And so today, what we're going to look at is a man who trusted God greatly and never gave in to that temptation as David did. Now listen, and we talked about this at the end of the service last week, coming to Jesus doesn't mean the absence of temptation. It doesn't mean that just because I now am a follower of Christ, that all that's going to go away. Everything's going to be peachy keen. I'm never going to struggle with sin again. I'm never going to struggle with temptation again. Anything we put in front of our eyes, anything we put in front of us that causes us to stumble is there because we put it there. All right? So as we look at the end, of the, at the end today at 1 Corinthians, I want to keep that in mind. And we're going to look back over the life of Joseph here. I'm just going to give you a really quick recap because I want to talk about his whole life, but specifically just about one encounter. Um, and let me ask you this question as, as we get rolling. How many of you have brothers and sisters? Come on, everybody. Anybody? Okay. How many of you were the firstborn? How many of you were the lastborn? How many of you are just stuck in the middle somewhere? All right, now here's a tough question. You, you, all you middle kids, we're praying for you. It's going to be okay, I promise. God will deliver you from your insecurities. Um, it's going to be okay. So um, 
how many of you, and this is, you got to be honest with me now, this is going to hurt, how many of you are the favorite child? I mean, you know you're the favorite, like you seriously, like you're the favorite, not only are you the favorite, but your in-law's favorite, right, Corey? Yeah, okay. <laughs> clearly, clearly he's the in-law's favorite. How many of you are the black sheep? I mean, you, are, you just are, like it's okay, throw your hands up, it's okay, confess it, come to the altar, it's okay. I'm the black sheep, listen, I'm the black sheep, my sister is perfect in every way, my mom's here, she's going to beat me when we're done. But my sister is perfect in every way, and someday I'll measure up. It'll be okay. It really will. And, I'm, and I've come to terms with that. I really have. It's, it's going to be okay. Someday my mother will love me, and I'll get out of counseling. But um, <laughs> listen, nobody likes the favorite kid. How many of you like the favorite? How many of you aren't the favorite? You just would like to throw the favorite off the cliff. Yes? Be honest. Be, this is a place. I mean, this is home, folks. It's a place to be okay with this. All right, listen. So Joseph was the favorite son of Jacob. Joseph had it all. He was the youngest. He was born when Jacob was older. Um, and so he was very much babied and coddled. And, and my girls would tell you that Maverick is, is the favorite because he's treated so much better than they ever were when they were growing up. And he's got it so good and it's so easy and he doesn't get punished, which is a load of whatever. But um, <laughs> Everybody knows that's not true. My, my Maverick is an angel. We all know it to be true. That's why he's got Uncle Kevin over here to take care of him. So turn in your Bibles this morning. We're going to focus on Genesis 37 through, through chapters 39. We're not going to read all that. I'm not going to keep you here till 1 o'clock because I'm going to the lake this afternoon. And the sooner I get done preaching, the sooner we can get out of here. So we're going to buzz through that. How many would you like to go to the lake with me this afternoon? Oh, sorry, no room. So Genesis 37, verse 3. Let's read. Verse 3 says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. <clears throat> when his brothers saw that their father lived, loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. So listen, Joseph's, Joseph really is loved and, and treated better than his brothers, and his brothers hated him for it. And I, that's why I asked that question, because I want us to, to be able to relate to that. If you're the favorite, listen, everybody hates you, okay? So just realize what's going to happen to you at the end of the story, all right? But, but he was loved. His brothers hated him. And in the midst of, of him growing up, um, God gave two dreams to Joseph. One uh, was about sheep. Now, they were, all, they were shepherds, so they would be out in the fields minding their sheep. That was their profession. Um, they took care of sheep, all right? And so how many of you know sheep are stupid? right? There's a reason the Bible calls us all sheep, all right? There, there really is, I promise, because we are such followers, man. I mean, we just, we just are. We just, by nature, are followers, which is why temptation is so easy to fall into, because it matters what we follow and who we follow as sheep and who our shepherd is, right? And so Joseph has these two dreams, and he, he makes the mistake of sharing it with his family, and so he has this dream, and he says there were these sheaves of, of, um, of hay that were, that were put together, and mine rose up from the middle, and your sheaves all bowed down to mine. Now imagine your favorite sibling coming to you and saying something like that. I mean, you're not going to be happy about it, and neither were his brothers. So that was bad enough, right? But listen, this was a dream from God. So keep in mind, through this entire story, that God's got this. You've probably heard me say it before in the last year, um, just, just from what I went through last summer with my eyes and, and all the things that, I, that have happened in my life, that my life motto is, God's got this. It doesn't matter what's happening around me. It doesn't matter what may, be, what may be going on. God's got this. And so keep that in the back of your mind as we look at Joseph. He has a second dream. There were a sun and the moon, and there were 11 stars that represented his brothers 
and his mom and dad that were bowing down to Joseph. That ticked him off even more. Not only ticked up, but ticked off Jacob, his father. Jacob said, you, you mean your mom and I are going to bow down to you? And then the verse says, but Jacob kept this in his heart. Or, yeah, Jacob kept this in his heart. So his father, while maybe a little miffed by this dream, also thought, I'm going to hold on to this for a minute, and I'm going to contemplate on this, and I'm going to give this over to God and see what happens. So as this story unfolds, we're going to see how this plays out. And so, and so one day, his brothers are out tending the sheep. His, his father says, hey, Joseph, why don't you go check on your brothers, which is also not a place you should put the favorite son in. Hey, while your brothers are working, why don't you go check on them? Okay, probably, you know, all right, fair. Probably not the best spot to be in for him, but he goes to check on them, doesn't find them tending the sheep. They're off doing something else, and they see him coming. And when they see him coming, they think, hey, let's buy Joseph lunch. We love our brother so much. No, that's not what they say at all. They say, let's kill him. I mean, we escalated quickly. And so his brother's plot to kill him, he's got one brother that spoke up, his brother Reuben, and said, wait a minute, we can't kill him. He's our brother. And so they decide that they're going to throw him into a well, into a cistern. And there's no water in this well. And so he's, it's not like he's going to drown in this well. They just kind of threw him in there to figure out what they were going to do. And then they went and had lunch, which I thought was great. They just ran over to Arby's and got themselves a, you know, a nice beef sandwich there as their brother sat in the cistern and they decided what to do with him, which is also funny because we remember David last week did the same thing with Uriah. When he called him back for more, he said, hey, let's go have a meal together before I kill you, okay? It's going to be great. And so his brothers are doing this like the same thing, this mirror thing of what had happened. And so Judah sees these, these Ishmaelites coming and says, I'm, just, I'm not going to kill, we can't kill him. That's just, we're not going to kill him, but let's sell him into slavery instead. And so they, they, after they've had their, you know, their, their Arby's and they're feeling good about stuff, they sell him to these Ishmaelites who are headed to Egypt because they know he'll be sewn into slavery and they'll never see him or hear from him again. And that'll be the end of Joseph. And their lives will be peaceful. The favorite's over. The favorite's done with. There's no blood, quote unquote, on their hands, right? Because they didn't kill him, but they've ridded their lives of him. And so they take this robe that his father had made him, this coat of many colors that you've probably heard about in Bible school or Sunday school over the years, right? And they dip it in blood and they tear it up and make it look like Joseph got eaten. And they take it home to Jacob and they give it to his father. And his father says, oh my gosh, my son has been eaten by animals. And he mourns. And that's sort of where we leave Joseph's brothers and his father in that moment. Um, And so jump forward in time here, and Joseph is sold into Egypt to a man named Potiphar. And we're going to look at Genesis. You're going to jump over to chapter 39, and verse 3 is where we're going to jump to. Now remember, God's hand is in play through this whole thing. Potiphar is the captain of the guards for Egypt. So Potiphar's not just some Joe Schmo schmuck. He's actually up there in the ranks when it comes to the, the, the hierarchy of Egypt. And so in, verse, in chapter 39, verse 3, we read this. He says, When his master saw that the Lord was with him, this was with Joseph, Potiphar saw, Potiphar saw that the Lord was with Joseph and that the Lord had given him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in the eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his entire household and he entrusted to his care everything that he owned. Joseph was a man who trusted God. I don't know about you, but being hated by your family doesn't give you a really great foundation that you really want to build on, right? I mean, that's something you got to overcome. And people spend years in therapy and like counseling trying to overcome our childhoods. Like, I know 50-year-olds that still blame their parents for because they suck their thumbs. I mean, 
really. Like, we want to go back and blame, but Joseph was a man of God. He was a man of integrity. And through all of this, he knew that God had a hold of him. He knew that somehow God was going to play this out because he knew that God had chosen him for a purpose. And that is true of each of us. Hear me. It's true of each of us. God created us with a purpose. He says, I knew you in your mother's womb. I knit you together. I created you with a purpose. And when we find that purpose, when we come to Christ and we receive him and we decide to follow him, just like Joseph, his hand is on our hearts and his hand is on our lives. And he will guide us and direct us. But just like Joseph, it's not going to be easy. All right, so watch. So he entrusted his care to everything he owned. So Potiphar said, man, I, I, I just think you're, just, you're the guy. I'm going to just trust you with everything. And so he puts him in charge of his whole household. He says, I'm not worried about any of this. You just take care of it. I'm giving you all of my stuff, and you manage it. Nowhere do we read that Joseph was angry or bitter or that he was trying to exact revenge or was trying to climb the ladder in Egypt so he could go back and get back at his brothers or anybody else. He just did the assignment that was in front of him. He just kept what was important, important. And Potiphar was blessed because of Joseph. So because Joseph was obedient to God, Potiphar, who probably by all accounts worshipped the gods of Egypt, was not a believer, but he was still blessed because of Joseph. Just like we're a blessing on others in the name of Jesus to people around us. Um, you don't have to jump here. I'm just going to read this. But Genesis 39, 6 through 7 um, says, now Joseph was, well, it's up on the screen, but now Joseph was well-built and handsome. So we're going we're gonna to look at what happens here. And this is really where we get into this, this problem that Joseph had. Jo, uh, Genesis 39, 6, 7. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. So it was a lot like me. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. Now, I'm going to go back to the Garden of Eden for just a minute because it was all Eve's fault. There's not a man on the planet who can deny a woman who's holding an apple in front of him naked, all right? So it was totally Eve's fault. We're just going to go back and establish that from right now forward. In case you want to know where the church stands on, on all that, that's, that's where we go. But Joseph is, has a woman standing in front of him, and she says, hey, come to bed with me. There's nobody in the house. This is an opportunity, right? This is that sin ladder, right? He has a choice to make. I'm sure he could justify it. I'm sure his imagination could run, but he stopped way before he ever got to that point. We're going to read about what he does here, but just keep in mind, there's a woman standing in front of him who wants to sleep with him. That's a tough thing, man. That's a, that's a tough thing. I don't care, I don't care who you are. That is, that is the, uh, just the embodiment of an opportunity to sin and probably get away with it. And when we have power, like Joseph did, it's easy to even feel invincible. And we looked at that in David's life. I'm sure David thought when he stepped into bed with Bathsheba, he was going to get away with it. And look what it led to in his life. But Joseph knew that with great power comes great responsibility. Clearly, Uncle Ben had been talking to him from Spider-Man. Thought, imagination, justification, choice. Look in verse 8. He refused. 
He never even, nothing here says, for just a minute, Joseph thought about it. Nothing says, for just a minute, he thought, I can do that. No, he refused. He said, with me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in this house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted my care. Joseph understands he's in a position of power, but he's also in a position to be trusted. No one's greater in this house than I am. He gets it. Like, he knows what he's got. My master has withheld nothing from me except you. Because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing? And he doesn't say sin against Potiphar. He doesn't say, how could I do such an evil thing to my master and sleep with you? How could I do such a horrible thing to Egypt? How could I ruin my reputation? How could I put myself in the... No, what does he say? He says, how could I sin against who? God. He understood that his relationship with God was the ultimate power, that it was the ultimate in his life, that it was the ultimate trust that he had. It wasn't in the position he was in. It wasn't in the place he was in. It wasn't in wherever he was in his life at this point. It was in his God. He said, how could I sin against God? His heart was pure. It's like the reverse donut. Instead of Joseph driving back back around the, the, the block, his wife kept coming back at Joseph. This didn't happen once. It continued to happen. She continued to ask him to sleep with her. She continued to say, come to bed with me. And so in this last piece, she actually rips off his cloak and he runs out of the house because she, she asked him, to come, and she was pulling on him to pull him into bed with her. And he runs out of the house, and this is where it hits the fan. And so she runs to, she runs to Potiphar, and she says, listen, Joseph, Joseph tried to rape me. There was nobody here. I've got his cloak in my hand. Look, this is Joseph's cloak. And because she's so angry because he wouldn't sleep with her, she decides she's going to destroy Joseph. Gee, this sounds familiar, doesn't it? Happened before with his brothers. Had Joseph slept with his wife, he would have been in the same position David would. He would have had to try to cover it up. He would have come up with ways and lies and additional sin to cover up the sin, which is always what happens when we sin. When we're tempted when we sin and when we fall, we always have to try to cover up that sin unless we're repentant, unless we finally come back and say, look, I, I probably should have never done this. But he knew it would have cost him everything and ultimately would have cost him what he thought was his relationship with God. Do we think that God would have raised Joseph up over and over again had he participated in that affair? Can you imagine how frustrated at this point in his life Joseph would have been? She goes to Potiphar and she says, he tried to rape me. And Potiphar has no choice but to say, well, I mean, I have to throw you in prison. And there's not a spot here where Joseph tries to defend himself. How many of us would feel like, I, I, I wait a minute, <laughs> I didn't do anything like your wife's trying to sleep with me. He, nothing in Scripture says he did that. He simply was thrown into prison. And for what we read, he went quietly. There's not a spot here where he tries to defend himself. And he's got to be frustrated. He was chosen by God from birth. He was blessed by his father. His dreams were prophetic. He knew he had a gift that God had given him through that. Um, he was sold to slavery, right? He was, he was set right. He thought everything would be okay now because he's in Potiphar's house, and now it's all come crashing down again. How many of you would be frustrated? I would be frustrated. I didn't do anything wrong. 
right? We can look at the day, life of David and go, David screwed up, but Joseph's done nothing wrong. And here's where he lands himself. And this is where that battle over our temptation is won in our mind long before it happens. And there's four things or five things I want to look at here that are Joseph's win. First of all, Joseph knew that God was with him. He knew that God had this. He knew that he had been blessed and he was raised up and that God was in control of all of this. He knew because he'd been thrown into a pit. He knew because his brothers had sold him. I don't know what that journey was like from freedom to slavery to Potiphar's house. We don't really know much about that, but it couldn't have been fun. There's uncertainty there. There's anxiety there. You don't know what's going to happen to you. You don't know where you're going to land. There certainly had to be some thoughts of, God, where are you? I mean, he's human. He had to think those things just as we would. But he also knew that God was with him and he trusted God. The second thing is he believed that he must be trustworthy because he was in a position of trust. In verse 9, we read that, that, that he knew that he wasn't going to sin against his God, that he must be faithful because he was a representative of God, because he followed God, because he was trusted. And he knew in his heart that he was trustworthy, regardless of what anybody else may have thought regardless of what he was accused of. Thirdly, he believed that sin was sin. He knew that the affair was wrong. He knew that he may have even been able to get away with it. But we don't see him even stepping towards that. He knew that sin was sin in verse 9. And number four, he believed that a sin was a sin against God. He believed that no matter what happened, that it was a sin against God. David understood this. When you go back and look at Psalm 51.4, and this is all David saying, create in me a clean heart, purify me, make me new, make me, you know, I'm sorry for all I did. He says in 51.4, David says, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Yes, we sin against others, but ultimately we sin against God. And ultimately, until that relationship is made right, until we repent of that, until we turn from it, until we say, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to put myself in a place of temptation that's going to cause me to sin. Until I make a commitment to God and say, I'm no longer going to do that. I need your forgiveness before I need anybody else's forgiveness. And then to forgive myself for the sin that I committed. Until we get to that point, just as David said, I've sinned the evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge me. He knew that he had sinned against God, and he knew when Nathan told him the story that that represented him that it was him who had sinned and that he had sinned against his God, not just against other people. And five, he believed purity was more important than promotions or prospects. Not just purity sexually, but purity of mind, purity of heart, purity of thought. He was put in prison, no evidence he argued, and he maintained that integrity. He believed that purity was important. We go to Genesis 39, 20 through 23, we read this. While Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. Who knew? The Lord was with him. He showed his kindness and granted him favors in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those he held in prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him his success in whatever he did. So the question you have to ask yourself is, can I be an overcomer? Can this work for me? Can I be someone who God blesses? Can I be someone who God uses? Can I be someone who lives in victory, who stops being frustrated with this sin that I can't get past? And the answer to that is yes, we can. But the key to it is God has to be first. 
above everything else. God has to be first. And even in prison, we see Joseph being blessed. I mean, you don't think about being blessed in prison, right? If I'm going to the state penitentiary, first of all, I don't want to be around anybody because I don't know what's going to happen. But secondly, to be put in charge of the entire prison as a prisoner, that's like taking the guy on death row and saying, you know what, I think God's blessed you, so why don't you run the prison? There's not a warden on this planet who's going to do that. This is massive. This is a massive amount of trust that this guy has, has placed in Joseph because God is with Joseph. And God is so with Joseph that it's obvious. It's obvious. How many of us in our lives, me included, go to our work every day, talk to the person at QT, encounter our neighbors, and we are so wrapped up in God, we are so filled with his spirit that they can see it. That is huge for a warden to put somebody over the prison that's a prisoner makes no sense. But God was with Joseph. Check this out. I love this. Romans 8, 12 says this. I love this. You have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. We have to put to death our sinful natures. We, just, we can't keep living in it. We can't keep rolling in it. We can't keep putting garbage in and expecting to get holiness out. I told you last week, I've never met anyone who stumbled under sin, and I've never met anybody who stumbled into holiness. It doesn't happen. It's intentionality. It's purpose. It's a focus on heavenly things. It's a focus on thinking like our heavenly Father. It's a focus on allowing the Holy Spirit to change us so that our worldview doesn't become a worldview of the world, but it becomes a worldview that we see what God sees, that we hear what God hears, that we interpret what God interprets. And when we allow God to work in our hearts and our lives through that, when we put the sin aside and allow it to die, then, he says, then we will live. Then we will live. It's a but, but then and. It's the command with the promise, right? Joseph continues to be blessed. John 14, 15, if you love me, God says, keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and he will be in you. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the gift that Jesus said, when I leave, we're gonna send a helper and that's the Holy Spirit and that's where the power comes from. That's who we have indwelling inside of us. That's when Jesus left and there was no longer a temple. Jesus says, I dwell inside of you. You're the temple. You're the city on the hill. You're my representative. I've given you the Holy Spirit. Now go live in victory. Stop floundering. Stop struggling. Do you understand that God doesn't want us to struggle? I get so tired of struggling with stuff. And it's all on me. Because it's all garbage that I put, it's all just crap that I decide to let into my life, that I decide to put before my eyes, that I decide to let into my ears. It's the stuff of the world. And I'm going to give you a great example. I started watching this show. How many of you remember? It was out in the late 90s, a show called Boston Legal. Remember the show Boston Legal? It was William Shatner and um, who's the guy from, uh, 
Oh, what's his name? Who? David Spade. This entire show is wrapped around sexual harassment. It's hilarious. I mean, it's funny. And, and one of the things I've struggled with my entire life is coarse joking. It is just, it is so hard. It is so easy, isn't it? I'm, don't tell me you're not, guys. It is so easy to laugh at those jokes. It is so easy to make innuendo. It's funny. It's hilarious. And what I realized this week is that it has, watching that show has completely taken over my thought life. Like, I mean, somebody can say, I'm going to go get a Coke, and I can come up with innuendo for it. And that's not where I want to be. That's not what God has. That's not God's best. That's, that's just me allowing stuff that I may say is entertainment to affect my thought life. And when it affects my thought life, it affects what comes out of my mouth. And when it affects what comes out of my mouth, it affects my witness. And when it affects my witness, it affects my God. And it affects how other people see him. And so I just, I, I'm done. I'm not watching it anymore. This is something God's dealt with me in my own heart. And so it's not always something that's like this great big massive thing that we need to set aside. But sometimes we've got to get introspective and go, why am I struggling with this? And what do I need to do to overcome this? So that God can be with me. So that God can speak through me. So that God can use me. So that I am a representative of the kingdom of God. And that's what the Holy Spirit is for. John 14, 26 talks about the Holy Spirit like this. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all the things and remind you of everything I have said to you. When we put God's word into our heart, the Holy Spirit reminds us of that. The things that we put in should first be the word of God, should first be the fellowship of other believers, should first be what happens when we're together as a church, because that allows us to go out and have strength to make it through our week. What we hear here on Sunday morning, I don't care if it's the greatest message you've ever heard. I heard Brian preach a message two weeks ago that I was absolutely blown away with. And I have talked to so many people. It doesn't matter. The greatest message that one of us may get up here and share is not enough to get you through your week and to walk in holiness. You have got to commit to God's word every day. We have got to commit to prayer. We've got to commit to coming together. We've got to get to committing to, to God. He's an advocate that argues in support. He fights for us. He empowers us. He convicts. He comforts. He guides. He's a counselor and he prompts us. The Holy Spirit gives us the power from heaven to live victorious lives. But we can quench that when we put crap like Boston Legal into our minds. And we talked last week, there's a fine line of legalism. What may bother me may not bother you. And so what may be true for me may not be true for you. I'm not going to sit here and say nobody else should watch that show, although nobody else should watch that show. but we've got to be aware. And we only become aware of those things when we're sensitive to the Spirit, we're sensitive to what God says to us. Joseph continues to be faithful. There's a series of events that happens. I'd encourage you to go on and read, but he, he becomes viceroy of Egypt. He's, he's released from prison through a, a series of circumstances. He interprets dreams for Pharaoh, and, and Pharaoh says, I'm going to put you in charge of all of Egypt. So he's gone from a, a well to prison I'm in charge of Egypt. Man, that's a transformation. That's a journey, man. That's serious. He's viceroy over Egypt. The, 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 the Pharaoh has a set of dreams that there's going to be seven years of, of, of great times. There's going to be seven years of famine. And, and Joseph interprets this dream for Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says, hey, go get us ready for those seven years. Get us ready for that famine. Get us ready for that drought. And because he's put in that position, and because, can you imagine just trusting a dream? 
And then somebody's saying, okay, you had that dream. I'm going to trust God because you had that dream. And now we're going to prep the entire nation for seven years of famine. Man, that's some trust. That's some belief in a God that, you, that, that Pharaoh didn't even believe in. And so Je- Joseph does just that. He preps Egypt, and they make it through those seven years. In the midst of that, his brothers come, and he has every opportunity to slay every last one of them. He has every opportunity to let them starve. He has every opportunity to get back at them and say, you know what, heck with you. You did this to me. I'm backing out on you tenfold. He doesn't do that. He makes things right with his brothers. And because he does, because he has mercy, because he saves them from the famine, because he's reunited with his father, because he's reunited with a brother he didn't know he had, all these things happen because he was obedient to the commands of God even when stuff didn't go great. I don't know about you, but my life has not been easy. My last five years have been anything but simple. And I don't know where you are this morning, but I know that God works in the same way in our hearts and lives that he works in Joseph's. I know that he wants to raise us up. I know he wants to use us. Joseph plants his family and Because of it, the promise that was made to Abraham begins to be fulfilled, that they would be fruitful and multiply, that the kingdom of Israel would grow. We see that God blesses generations and generations all the way down to Jesus. He repaid betrayal with benevolence, and God used him to bless the world. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says this about temptation. We read this at the beginning of last week. No test or temptation that comes your way is beyond the course of what others have had to face. All you need to remember is that God will never, never, read that word, highlight it, mark it down, never let you down. Never. I hope you see the power of these promises. He'll never let you down. He'll never let you be pushed past your limit. He'll always be there to help you come through it but you've got to trust him. You've got to allow him to do it. You've got to put the stuff aside. You've got to stay out of the way of temptation. We've got to let the power of the Holy Spirit overcome. We've got to let the power of others help us overcome. We've got a promise on the other side of that. For David or Joseph, what you wrote down last week, that thing that you're struggling with. I was struggling with something I didn't even know I was struggling with. If I'd have sat here and wrote down that card last week, I would not have thought funny jokes that are coarse sometimes and have innuendo was something that I was even struggling with. Not even something I would have written down last week. I don't know what God's going to show you today, and I don't know what he showed you over the last week, but whatever that is, I'm just going to ask you to just put it in his hands. Take tangible steps. Stop exposing yourself to it. Stop putting the garbage in, and we'll stop getting garbage out. Matthew 26, 41, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is, you know this, weak. Let's pray together. God, your word is powerful. Your word, I know, has pierced my heart. And so, God, I know that When your word goes out that you've promised it doesn't come back void, that when we trust in you, God, that you're faithful, 
that you do make all things new, that you've made us new creatures, that you have taken the old and buried it and brought us to walk in new life with you when we receive you and follow you. And so this morning, I pray that you will deliver us this morning, God, from whatever it is we may be struggling with. God, that you'll deliver us so that we can be your representatives, so that we can live in victory, so that we're not frustrated anymore, so that we're not angry anymore, so that we're not tempted anymore, so that we stop falling and that we live in peace and victory. Because God, that's what you've promised for us when we follow your principles and your precepts and your word and walk in obedience to the things that you've commanded us and to the way that you've asked us to live our lives. God, my prayer this morning is that we're not losers. God, that we don't lose to sin. God, that we don't lose to temptation, that we don't lose our integrity. God, that we don't lose our influence and that we ultimately don't lose ourselves. God, that you will deliver us and that you'll make us new. God, I pray over each of us here this morning as we sit that your spirit would come, that you would fill each of us, that, God, we would confess those corners of our minds, that we would lay it all out before you. God, you already know it all anyway. And so we just confess it to you this morning and pray that you'll deliver, God, because of who you are and because of your promises for us. In Jesus' name, amen.